I'm Michael Statham, and you're listening to the Studio Podcast. Essays, observations, and therapy sessions from an emerging artist. This is episode one, the beginning of something. so far no matter where you find yourself you're always where you are go anywhere you go do anything you do i'll be with you hello and welcome to the first episode of the studio podcast i'm calling this season one episode one because it makes it sound like i have a plan and i actually know what i'm doing whether i do or not remains to be seen This first season will be six episodes, each of them about 15 minutes long and released about every two weeks. I'm also planning to put out the occasional special episode between seasons, possibly about the tech side of an artist business, a bit of web design information, some social media advice, that sort of thing. Or I might just record an episode to keep listeners updated with news from the studio. Once the first season is finished, I'm hoping these special episodes will also help me to concentrate on maintaining this project because I have quite a short attention span, you see. I'm really easily distracted by almost anything. Case in point, I should be painting right now, but instead I'm recording this. And while I'm recording this, I'm also thinking about feeding the cats, working out when I can have that second packet of crisps and trying to figure out how I can get out of my dentist appointment next Friday. My head is constantly full of to-do lists ideas and plans, and lots of other things that I should be able to ignore, but which keep tapping at the back of my head to remind me that they are still there. So if I veer off on a tangent, that'll probably be why. The idea behind this podcast is that I'll use it as a way to document my day-to-day studio life, the hurdles that I encounter as I try to become a full-time artist, and things that just bug the heck out of me, or even just as a way to exercise some art-related demons. I'll also try to share tips as I stumble across them and nuggets of wisdom that I find along the way. Initially, I'll try to keep to a single topic each episode, although, as I've said, my attention span needs some work, so tangents are guaranteed to happen. I also have a tendency to babble and also to contradict myself. Often, within minutes of me making a comment or giving an opinion, I change my mind and say the exact opposite. After all that preamble, and if you're still listening, let me fill you in on who I am. As I said at the top of the podcast, my name is Michael Statham. That's spelled S-T-A-T-H-A-M. There's no R after the first T, which is something that almost everyone adds to my name when they address me. So that's Statham, not Stratham, or any other derivative thereof. How hard could it be? Quite hard, apparently. I once received a letter addressed to Mick Spade, and another one to Michael Sintathan. But despite evidence to the contrary, I'm not a 1940s New York detective, or have I ever been canonised. My doctor did once write me a prescription with the name Jason Statham on it. He was mildly embarrassed when I pointed out his mistake. I don't go there anymore. If he can't get my name right, how accurate would his diagnosis be? Most folks call me Mick, apart from one of my sisters who insists on calling me Mike. But these days, I kind of like Michael. It makes me sound a bit more grown up. And at my age, being grown up is something that I should have slid into a long time ago. I've always been a creative person. I think the need to make things 
is part of my DNA and it's something that I couldn't put a stop to no matter how hard I try, so why bother? I've had no formal art training. University wasn't even a consideration in my family. In fact, my school was incredibly inept at spotting not necessarily artistic talent, more temperament, I'd say. If you weren't in the top 1% of performers at either maths or science, then your destiny was take up a trade. After all, you couldn't be an artist. How silly was that idea? So during my school years, my main goal was to remain incognito and to stay well below the radar. This was more out of necessity than desire. I was part of the small subset of geek kids at the school. We weren't gifted in any way for sports. That gene was missing from our genetic makeup completely. So in order to save ourselves from daily ridicule and occasional beatings from the jocks, we each had to develop a talent of our own as a defence mechanism. I became the autistic one with a quirky sense of humour. I would draw caricatures of the other kids that edged slightly towards satire. Humour was always the best defence. I was also what can only be described as short and weedy. I don't think I grew above five feet until I left school at 16 and a half. On our last day of school, our headmaster gathered the whole year into the gym and gave us the speech. It wasn't much of a speech, but to be honest, an over-the-hill secondary school headmaster was never going to give Baz Luhrmann a run for his money. To this day, the only thing I can remember is this one thing. As he stood at the front of the gym, he said, when people tell you that your school days are the best days of your life, then he paused and looked small and downtrodden before finishing the sentence with, don't believe them. With that, school was over. This was the height of the Thatcher years and jobs were scarce. My parents were constantly bewildered that I couldn't find employment. They constantly told me that I needed to get into some sort of trade. But despite protesting otherwise, no one ever entertained the notion that I could be good at something a bit more creative. So I was somehow steered into a government training course to become an electrician. After all, my brother was an electrical fitter at the local power station. If it was good enough for him, apparently it was good enough for me too. So, because this was the 80s and jobs were harder to come by than rocking horse droppings, with no other option on the table, I took the course. There was a dozen of us starting on that first day. I never really felt the part, despite the dark blue one-piece overalls and the shiny new toolbox. There was a lot of bullying from many of the established tradesmen towards young people entering those sorts of professions. They seemed to take it as a challenge to break the spirits of the new trainees. So from day one, it was pretty much hell on earth. Despite all that, I did find the practical side a bit of a doddle. I guess this tapped into my creative streak, but the theory, that was another matter entirely. I've never been one for retaining info for something that I just have no interest in. And listening to dry lectures about three-phase motors or how to strip mineral insulated copper cord cable fit perfectly into that category. The idea was that during the two years of the course, one of the local electrical companies would take the dozen of us on as apprentices. The problem was that no one informed the course runners that this was the 80s and no one was taking apprentices. There were no jobs, full stop. So after just over a year, the course folded and I was on the dole, as we said back then. I remember having to sign on at the local DHSS. 
that's Department of Health and Social Security for those too young to remember. Fortunately, I lived in the same street as the signing on office, literally 20 yards away. Every cloud has a silver lining, I guess. That lasted for three years, during which time, apart from unsuccessfully looking for a job, I drew a lot. I've always drawn, ever since I've been small. And I was also a bit of a comic book geek, so I copied constantly from those. My initial knowledge of anatomy, albeit the exaggerated, pumped-up superhero variety, was informed by reading those. There were exceptions to that rule. Go look up Barry Windsor Smith or John J. Muth or Kent Williams for stunning examples of comic book fine art. After a while, I had the fanciful notion that I might be able to draw comics for a living, but I wasn't much of a storyteller, so that idea stalled almost straight away. Then one day, in the local paper, I saw that W.H. Smiths had decided to open a branch in town, so I applied, and to everybody's surprise, I was successful. I don't know if this is connected to my love of comic books or their format, but once part of the Smiths family, I fell in love with magazines, specifically their designs and layouts. I'm not talking Woman's Weekly or Angling Times. This was a time in the 80s when magazines like Arena and ID and The Face were experimenting with graphic design and avant-garde layouts. As luck would have it, after about a year of counting big pen refills and trying to avoid selling tipex to anyone who looked under 16, an opening came up on the news department and I was in like a rat up a drainpipe. It was perfect. I was the only one on that department which suited my artistic loner temperament down to the ground and I got to read all the new editions on publication day. It wasn't long before I was reading Creative Review and Graphic, two great magazines dedicated to graphic design. These magazines were an eye-opening revelation for me. People actually got paid to be creative in this way. That was amazing. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that I worked tirelessly to make it as as a designer. Well, that's what I thought I'd do too. But the spectre of trying to get into a university to study graphic design, or design of any kind, to be honest, was still way off my radar. I was both financially excluded and educationally challenged by the lack of qualifying grades. So I stayed where I was and dreamed of what might be. After about six years, I moved to another branch of W.H. Smith where I promptly got on the wrong side of the branch manager and my second stint in hell began. Well, over the next few years, stuff happened and my life took a path of changes and challenges, but I found a way out when an opportunity arose in a department of the civil service back in my hometown. And it would also give me some breathing space while I sorted my act out. It's funny how time passes when you get comfortable with something. The pay was pretty bad and remained so until the day I left, despite what outsiders assume of the civil service. If you were at the bottom of the heap and you were content to stay there, you were not about to get rich anytime soon. The other perks were pretty good though. Flexi time was always there to be abused and they were giving away annual leave like it was going out of fashion. During these years, the age of personal computers door and I saw how they could open up new creative avenues. I eventually learned Photoshop and how to code websites. I even did a little off-the-books web design work for friends, relatives and some charitable organisations. I loved doing that stuff. It was great. Jump forward 28 years and I finally got the chance to leave on my own terms. It wasn't a tough decision. 
the civil service made it worthwhile, at least in the short term, and this gave me a, a buffer to pursue my dream of a creative life of some sort. During the years in the civil service, I still harboured a desire to walk that creative path, or at least to meander down it from time to time. I followed design trends like my friends and colleagues followed cars and football, which are two things I personally know very little about. I also dipped my toe into trying to master various artistic practices. My most successful attempt and most rewarding experience was with screen printing. I think that was because it allowed me to combine my love of design with an artistic edge. In fact, for this year's Royal Academy submission for the summer exhibition, I dusted off my printing cat and submitted a risograph print rather than my usual painted entry. It didn't make it through the first round though this time, so it probably wasn't a good idea after all. All of that was a year ago, give or take. And over these past few months, I've combined a house renovation with renewing my acquaintance with painting. Landscapes are usually my thing, although I do seem to have an illicit affair with abstracts too. But I have a tough time with making abstracts. I think my head is sometimes in too ordered a space to pull them off successfully. In my mind, I have to know what I'm trying to paint and the randomness of an abstract is sometimes too difficult for me to accomplish. Having said that, my landscapes do have an abstract quality to them, so what do I know? It had been so long that I'd forgotten how much I love using oil paint. It's such a sumptuous medium, so tactile and mutable. And since starting to paint again, I think I'm beginning to find my groove. I'm also wrestling with acrylics. As much as I love oil paints, there are hazards to consider when using them, so I'm trying to switch. But finding it somewhat difficult as the acrylics just don't want to behave themselves and We've fallen out many times recently. I try to paint probably three days out of the week, but more if I can and if my other commitments allow. I guess it's a bit like a musician practicing their scales. I might not come out with a finished piece, but at least I've gone some way to getting the notes in the right order. Recently, I've also found the confidence to enter competitions and make submissions for open exhibitions, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. But I'm going to love it, this artist life, and now I feel happy. Well, happier than I felt in the preceding 30 years of day jobs. Which is saying something. At some point, I will need to go back to a day job, I think, just to be able to make ends meet, but I'll delay that moment for as long as possible. And who knows, if I manage to pull this off, if I can make a living from making art, then it would have all been worth it. If it doesn't work out, it will have still been worth it. I have great support in the form of my amazing wife who, in the scheme of things, I could not do any of this without. She's just so incredible and gives me a boost when my confidence is low or a kick in the backside when needed. So in a nutshell, that's me and I invite you to follow my trials and tribulations of making it, whatever it is, via this podcast. I hope you'll decide to stick around and if you do, the studio podcast can be found on whichever podcast app you use. Perhaps you could leave a review if you're that way inclined, but try not to be too harsh. This is my first time after all. So thank you very much for listening and indulging me in this project. In the meantime, you can find me on the web at nickstatham.com, where you can sign up to get notifications of any new work, along with a 10% discount for any of my art. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at michaelstathamart, and on Twitter at mikestathamart. Feel free to follow along on there too. I'm Michael Statham, and you've been listening to the Studio Podcast. 
Not 